I can't tell you how encouraging it is for me to, to see, I think we have 85 participants now on a Saturday morning all over the world to see precious brothers and sisters who um, see the need to join together for prayer uh, as your email reminded us. And as the entire effort represents, uh, this is extraordinary prayer. This is not just ordinary, uh, our everyday prayer life, but something we've chosen to do together in an extraordinary way, asking God to revive churches and to extend the kingdom throughout the world, uh, beginning in our own uh, lives and homes and all the rest. So I'm grateful for the effort. What I want to talk about today is found in Romans 12. If you want to look in your Bible, Romans 12. We've been studying the book of Romans at our church, and we have made our way to the 12th chapter of Romans. And we have been for a few weeks now in verses 9 through 21. And what you have in verses 9 through 21 is you have uh, a series of uh, sort of rapid fire exhortations, just one um, exhortation after another, each one carrying the force of an imperative. So each of these things really represents a command from our God. What makes this section interesting, <clears throat> um, this, this follows 11 chapters of gospel doctrine, as you know, knowing the book of Romans. For 11 chapters, Paul uh, introduces the need for the gospel, explains the gospel, defends the gospel, applies the gospel in virtually every uh, direction you could imagine. And then when you come to chapter 12, he makes the point that our reasonable response to these truths is nothing short of the, the wholehearted devotion of our entire lives to God. This is our reasonable act of worship, that we would present ourselves to God as living sacrifices. Uh, he then, in verses 3 through 8 of chapter 12, talks about how that works itself out in the church in the terms of spiritual gifts. So we devote ourselves individually to God, but it's, it's not in isolation from one another. Our God has distributed gifts to the body, and we are meant by our God to serve together. And so each one of us responds to God, not just on, on the individual basis, but then collectively, cooperatively, we function together in his churches uh, for his glory, using what he's given us, that which we have received in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Then beginning in verse 9, you have these, as I said, these rapid-fire exhortations that make this calling practical. What does this look like? Uh, the, the devotion of my entire life to God, the functioning of spiritual gifts in the Lord's church. What is this going to look like in terms of individual decisions? He begins this list of exhortations with the subject of love. Many commentators, I agree with this, see the fact that the first exhortation has to do with unhypocritical love or genuine love as setting the trajectory for the rest of the exhortations. In fact, as I've preached them to our church, I've made the point that you could think about this almost like 1 Corinthians 13. You could think about each of these exhortations in the context of love. So love is genuine. Verse 9, let love be genuine. Love is pure. Abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. Love is warm with brotherly affection. Verse 10, uh, love is not uh, lazy, but it's zealous and it serves the Lord. And so you, you can just walk through each of these things and see God's love being expressed in his people as we obey each of these commands. And remember, as you think about that, 
The Bible teaches us in 1 Timothy 1.5 that the aim, the goal of all of our preaching and teaching is love. Uh, there Paul says the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So the goal of all preaching is God's love being lived out in the lives of his people. When you go to Ephesians 4 and you see the functioning of spiritual gifts and what the end of that is, so God gives pastor teachers to the church uh, for the equipping of the body, and then Paul goes on to describe the spiritual gifts in action. When he gets to the end of that, he talks about the body building itself up in love. So love is the outcome of preaching, teaching. Love is the outcome of the proper functioning of spiritual gifts. Um, Love, we could say, is the Christian life. We're called to a life of love. So each of these commands found in that context. Now, what I want to direct our attention to is found in verse 12, where he says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. These three uh, commands I joined together as I preached them under one heading, and that is the endurance of love. Walking in the love of God is going to uh, require and it's going to demonstrate a holy kind of endurance. There's a kind of joy that has to endure in the midst of all of life's challenges, rejoicing in hope, right? It's It's a unique kind of rejoicing. It's rejoicing that is explained by our hope. And if you ask what hope is, it doesn't have to do with things that we see. Hope that is seen is no longer hope, the Bible says. Hope has to do with what you cannot see. Hope is future-oriented. And the way uh, I would define it to to sort of hopefully help it get burned into our brains a bit would be this. Hope is counting the future to be certain because of what God has said. Okay? Counting the future to be certain. I know certain things about the future that, that, that I can count on. I can rest my entire life on because God doesn't lie. What he has told me is true. So, for example, today we're living a day that we've not yet met with. We don't know what this day is going to hold. But I know this for certain, that whatever comes my way, because it's coming from the hand of a sovereign God who's absolutely sovereign over everything, it is going to be, Romans 8, 28 through 30, it's going to be for God's glory, and it's going to be in some way worked together for my good, because I'm among those who love him and are the called according to his purpose. I know this. So no matter what I meet with today, it's going to be for my good, and it's going to be for his glory. In that, I can find joy, no matter what it is I'm going through. Uh, financial difficulty, death of a loved one, health issues, Uh, persecution from governments or personal enemies or whatever the case may be, whatever it is, there's an enduring kind of joy and it endures because it's not tied to the temporal. It is tied. It's tethered to the eternal. It rejoices in hope. That's an enduring kind of joy. And he talks about another kind of endurance in the next uh, command, be patient in tribulation. So now we're thinking specifically about trials and troubles and things that, 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 um, that we, we feel, I mean, we feel the weight of these things that it's not some light thing that we just sort of blow off and it doesn't affect us very much. 
No, no. In this word tribulation is the idea. Philips is a form of the word philipsis. And the idea is you, you feel the pressure of it. You feel the weight of it. And he says that, that in those circumstances, what we're called to be is patient. It's a form of the word hupomeno. And, it, and it's a word that has in it the idea of remaining under or remaining in place. And the idea is that you and I have the capacity in Christ by the Holy Spirit to remain in a place of obedience to God, learning from the Lord, um, being developed by the Lord in the midst of the, all the various trials that we walk through in life. What we often want to do when we meet with circumstances that, that make things unpleasant for us or uncomfortable for us is we want to escape them. Lord, would you please just change these circumstances? Would you please put me into a different place? And instead of letting our minds turn immediately to how do I get out of this? Rather, what are, where our minds ought to turn to is, God, how can I glorify you in this? What might you be using this for? In fact, one of the places where we ought to remain in the midst of our troubles is in the place of service, in the place of ministry, to understand that every trial actually represents a field for ministry. I'm not here by accident. Uh, God, you've placed me here to be, to be a light, uh, to be used by you right in the midst of these difficulties. So there's an enduring kind of joy that's found in knowing what God has promised about our future. And I'm going to rest my heart and my mind and my life there in what God has promised. And there's an enduring kind of obedience I can know, a patience. It's not, it's not passive patience. It's not, okay, I'm just going to wait here until God changes things. No, it's active patience. I want to obey. I want to learn. I want to be developed. I want to serve right in the midst of my trial. That's endurance. And then tied to that is this third command where he says, be constant in prayer. Now, here's what I want to suggest this morning. If our joy is informed by God's promises and exists in light of our eternal future. And if our patience is fueled by God's promises and is fixed on eternal purposes, then isn't it true that our prayer life also endures, can be filled with joy and obedience and learning and development because of what God has promised and because of the fact that we're headed toward an eternal future forever in the presence of our Savior. And isn't it also true then to say that if this kind of joy expresses love for God and the experience of God's love and love for people, I mean, a, a, a God-given view of people, a God-given concern for people, including their salvation, and they're, in terms of his people, their development in the Christian life. If my joy is fueled by love and my patience is, infueled by, is fueled by love and informed by love, isn't it true to say that my prayer life should also be fueled by love and informed by love? And so if we ask this morning, how can a gathering like this uh, be more than novelty? And if we ask what would motivate people to get up on a Saturday morning or Monday through Friday and actually gather together to seek the throne of God's grace 
for help in this time of need and and to adore our God and to worship our God, what, what, would, what would fuel such an effort? I think the answer is by knowing of the certainties that God has given us in his word that would move us to such action, including the fact we're commanded to do it. Um, it, it would also be the, the joy of, of, of the cooperative effort of God's love in terms of the body of Christ. We get to do this together. And it would be it would be love for God Himself that would move us to such an enduring effort. So what I want to say is that endurance is expressed where you find the love of God. There's an enduring joy, there's an enduring submission to God, and there's an enduring prayer life. Um, and sometimes I feel that of those three things, the most difficult is prayer. Uh, I, I often reflect on Martin Lloyd-Jones talking about prayer as the most difficult thing in the Christian life. I think it's true. And, and, and it may be even that this is where our enemy uh, battles us the greatest. Uh, there's so many other things that are easier for us to do than to pray. But is there anything more effectual? Is there anything more needful? Is there any place where we will meet with God's grace in a more powerful fashion? God resists the proud. He gives grace to the humble. So when we humble ourselves in prayer, there we meet with the grace of God. So it's a joy to be with you this morning. And uh, Stephen, if I could, let me start our prayer time and then turn it over to you.